Okay, if you're already at your seats, you can. Uh, we're going to start in Romans, Romans chapter eight. If you, uh, Romans eight. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much again for our time of worship so far this morning, and Lord, really just blessed uh, to see all that's happening. Uh, with barbecues and events and, and not just in our church but around the, the valley. Lord, just uh, wonderful to see how You're moving and that we get to be a part of that. And So thank You for that and Lord, thank You for Your Word. And as we open Your Word once again, we ask uh, through the, uh, the person, power of the Holy Spirit, that You would speak truth to our hearts, that You would give us ears to hear, Help us to understand what Your Word says and then beyond that to make real life application so that we can continue in this transformative process called sanctification. So, so we love You. We love Your Word and, and ask You now to uh, speak truth to us uh, because You're a good God and because You love us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Last Sunday, we began a series. Uh, it's really called The Goodness of God. Every, every Sunday we're together, we start right off the bat. I say, God is good, and you say, and all the time, God is good, right? And, and that's one of those statements, you know, you've maybe grown up in the church, you've heard it all the time, yeah, God is good, yeah, God is good, God is good. What does that really even mean? What does that even mean? God is good. Because most of us, when you hear the word good, you probably define it as not bad. And you're like, okay, yeah, so God's not bad. Okay, so so what? What does that matter when I leave here? What does that matter when, when a bill needs to be paid that I don't have the money for? What does that mean when, you know, I'm not treated like I, I feel like I should be? What does that mean when my health takes a turn? Is God still good? Do I really believe that? Or is His goodness really tied to circumstances in my life? You know, we oftentimes will ask for prayer when, when prayer needs come up. And, and for instance, if it's, if it's a health concern and we say, hey, pray that so-and-so gets better and, and they don't have, you know, something serious. And then it comes back and, hey, praise report, so-and-so is better and they didn't have. And everyone goes, God is good. But what if the next week so-and-so didn't get better and -and so-and-so actually had what you were praying that they wouldn't have? Is God still good? Are we still going to rejoice in who He is? Not the circumstance, but are we still going to be able to to cling to that, that truth of His goodness? And so I'm really excited because... This summer, we really talked about what it means to follow Jesus, what we call around here, be all in. And sometimes that can get kind of weighty, and you're like, oh, I've got to give it all up. And that's all true, but sometimes there's this heaviness to that. And so into the fall, uh, I really felt like God's, no, no, this fall, let's, let's really look at what the Bible says about God's goodness in a way that puts a smile on your face. Right? We talked last week, you know, how many of you right now, if I were to say, who, who here knows someone you would consider just a good person? Just good. Uh, giving, generous, caring. Anyone? You, they're good, right? 
How do you feel about that person? Just how do you feel emotionally? Good, okay. <laughs> you feel good. You, you, you perk up, right? You're like, oh, so-and-so, oh, they're so good. Not a caring person, not a mean bone in their body. They'll do anything for anyone, right? And you feel good about that person because they are, in our worldly view, what? Good. And then I ask, why is it then when we say God is good, we get all serious? Oh, he's good. And we scowl. God is good. All the time. All the time, but he's good, he's good. Why do we, right? We, we don't have that same emotional connection because really I think sometimes we don't know what that means. What would it be like if you really understood, if I understood God's goodness in even the same way that we connect with an, uh, that emotional at the human level and we walked around, God is good. God is good. He's a good God. He's a good God. And we felt good about God. (laughs) We actually felt good about Him. Because my guess is many of us grew up, whether it's through church experience, family experience, our performance-oriented culture, where you probably haven't had a whole lot of a sense of someone in your corner cheering you on, wanting your best. Okay, it's all right. Many of us were not raised, have not experienced someone in your corner. Woohoo! Go get him! Yes, yes! Oh, it's okay. You messed up. Get back in there. Woo! I am for you. You're so awesome. You're going to do so good. I am for you 24 7. Anyone ever have that? How many of you really more had, you did it again? Diana, I told you, this is the fifth time you messed up. When are you going to get your act together? How many more of that? And we've grown up kind of carrying that into the church where we say God is good, but we kind of feel like He's the principal with the ruler waiting for us to mess up yet again. Right? So we say God is good on the one hand, but we emotionally disconnect and actually relate to Him in a much different way. Is He really good? Does he really want my best 24-7? Is he really my biggest cheerleader? Is he? Because when it goes from here to here, this is going to go like this. When you understand God's goodness, from here to here, your mouth kind of automatically does this. Because then the joy comes back. Then the, oh, I, I knew he was good. But now I know he's good. And that's what we're talking about, is this, this appreciation of God's goodness, which takes us through great celebration times and even through the, the greatest valleys. That he's good all the time. And we're, we're starting this, and, and I'm so excited about it, because just in talking with people, we, really don't, we haven't really grasped what it means to follow a good God. We talk about good news, the gospel. Remember I said last Sunday, oftentimes we say, hey, I have some good news from an angry, wrathful God. Right? We, we often portray him as, as angry, wrathful, ready, to, ready to, to, to pounce if you don't accept his good news. Right? Isn't it good news from a good God? 
How much more our message? When Nick comes, my prayer is that when the gospel goes forth, thousands of people will hear good news from a good God and respond and come forward and desire a relationship with a good God who is loving and holy and everything else that He is. But I, I would pray that they would get the good news comes from a good God. And I pray that for us, that we would walk wherever we are. Whatever circumstance you go through this week, you would carry with you this, this deep, heartfelt truth that, ah, God's still good. God's good all the time. I said that every, every day for five, every Sunday for five years I've said that. But now I get it. Now I get it. And I thought of something just came up uh, yesterday. Current event and, you know, I don't know how many of you follow football and, and everything. But, you know, this is the, the time of the year when guys get cut. And this means a lot to guys. This is, this is their livelihood. This is what they love to do. Whether or not you're into football, we've all had something that we're really passionate about. And maybe you've got cut from a team or didn't get a job you wanted. And so you can feel this profound sense of disappointment, maybe a sense of now what, where am I heading? And so, you know, it was really cool. I thought, okay, Lord, thank you for a great teachable moment. You know, uh, many of you are familiar with Tim Tebow. And Tim's been in the news the past few years, just an on-fire, born-again believer who has brought his faith into football. And, you know, yesterday he got cut. And he's got a whole, you know, and, and so to the whole world who follows him, and he's on the front of Yahoo and ESPN, he tweets this. Thanks at Eagles and Coach Kelly for giving me the opportunity to play the game I love, Romans 8.28. So let's look at Romans 8.28. So this went out to the whole world. Because a whole lot of people follow Tim Tebow. And he just got cut. He's unemployed, unless he goes back to broadcasting. But right now he's unemployed. And he loves football. So, you know, there's some disappointment. There's some, like, now what? He gave it his all. He wanted to make the team, right? Romans 8.28 says this. And we know that in all things God works for the what? Good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So he says, hey, it's okay. This is going to work for the good. Why? Because God is good. You see, the use of this verse when you've just been cut really reveals a heart issue that he gets that God is good. And this good God that he loves and this good God that loves him, according to his, the good word, <laughs> he's going to work it for his good. And I'm like, Lord, thank you. That there's a guy out there who, who has taken to heart the goodness of God and is probably wrestling with the disappointment and, you know, all of that. And he says, that's oh, okay. The good God is going to work it for the good. All is well. Amen? And that's what we're looking at. So t- turn to Psalm 34, 8. Go ahead, Shai. You can put the screen up. Psalm 34, 8 was our uh, launching point into this series. Psalm 34.8. I love this verse because it's very experiential. Psalm 34.8. Taste and see that the Lord is what? Good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. You know what I love about that? It means, hey... Don't just put it here. Go experience God. 
When it says taste and see, it means learn about it, but go experience Him and enjoy Him. When was the last time you enjoyed God? We're supposed to? I thought we were just supposed to do a bunch of spiritual disciplines. And I thought we were supposed to serve and we're supposed to give. No one ever told me I was supposed to enjoy God. When was the last time you enjoyed God? When was the last time you celebrated a loving, gracious, good relationship with God? Where you woke up and you said, oh man, this is cool. I'm enjoying this. How many of you are sitting next to someone that you enjoy their company? Most of the time. <laughs> you enjoy their company, right? You like being with them. You, you have this just, there's just good emotion. You enjoy their company. When was the last time you enjoyed God? Wow. See, part of that is, is I don't think we've ever really taken the time to either know we're supposed to enjoy Him or B, get the fact that He's a good God. How many of you enjoy the person next to you just because they're good? They're, whatever, however you want to define it. They're a good person. You're, you want to enjoy their company, right? Cindy's like, really? You know? And we, we're to enjoy, we're to taste and see. Experience Him in, in daily life. The goodness of God, all His attributes. Bill, again, thank you for, for that summer series. We're to enjoy Him. And how do we enjoy Him? We take what we learn here and through His Word out into the real world. And we see God move. We see God take care of us. We see His goodness in real life circumstances. And we enjoy Him. Just got to enjoy Him. Sometimes we just overthink it, guys. What did Jesus say to His first disciples? He's cruising around the Sea of Galilee. He says, hey, follow me. (laughs) All He said was follow me. Now, question when they're following jesus right they walked everywhere when they're following jesus bunch of blue collar guys fishermen kind of some of them knew each other some of them didn't what do you think they did with jesus as they're walking from town to town they had fun they enjoyed each other's company they did really they did they were together for hours. They walked the roads. We, we forget these are just regular people. They probably told jokes. Practical jokes on each other. Peter trying to trip the other guy. You, you, I mean, why, don't, why do we, 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 we lose this whole aspect of enjoying Jesus, of enjoying God? And we make it so churchy and so formal and so religious. We, we just take all the joy right out of it. And as I've been looking at the goodness of God, you know what it's doing to me personally? It's bringing the joy right back. Because He's a good God who's in your corner 24-7 wanting your best. Could you enjoy that? See, Teresa's already smiling. He's like, yes! We all want somebody in our corner 24-7 wanting our best. Amen? Especially... When we are at our worst. Amen? And the more we grasp the goodness of God, the more you're going to enjoy Him. You're going to take a deep breath. 
and a lot of the churchy stuff that you and I carry around, I believe, you're going to go, why was I carrying that for so long? He's such a good God. He is such a good God. I projected so much onto Him that is not even biblical. I projected so much onto Him. I'm just taking that right off and I'm just going to enjoy this good God who's in my corner 24-7 wanting my best. <sighs> right? right? Taste and see. So that's kind of my theme for us as we go through the fall. I want you to enjoy God. I want you to experience God. I want you to learn what the Bible says about Him and see what it does what it starts to do in your view of Him. Why is that important? Because we saw last week, it says, Kirk Cloninger, guy says, show me what someone's view of God is and I'll show you how they live their lives. Show me what someone's view of God is and I'll show you how they live their lives. If you think God's an angry principal, policeman in the sky waiting for you to mess up, you're going to live a certain way. If you think God is good, and is in your corner 24-7 wanting your best, and is gracious and kind and loving and forgiving, you know what? You're going to live your life differently. That's why this is so important. Because we're all going to scatter in a few minutes. And how you go about the rest of your day today and what you carry into tomorrow is directly related to how you view God. Is He good all the time? Even when our computer goes crazy. Right? And I can now say that to Doris too. Even when our computer goes crazy. Right? Do the real stuff of life. Wi-Fi not working. Just not working. <laughs> right? It's, yes, we can enjoy Him. We can, we, can, we can grasp His goodness and hold on to it very tightly, even through the valley. Right? On your notes there, there's a, there's a quote that I put. I put a couple of definitions of, of God's goodness by Pink and Tozer, but we're going to get to those down the road. But look at the one by Larry Crapp. This is where we're going to launch off today. Very last quote. When I am not convinced that God is good, I will quietly, but with tight-lipped resolve, take over responsibility for my own well-being. Ooh. When I am not convinced that God is good, I will quietly but with tight-lipped resolve, take over responsibility for my own well-being. Remember last week we looked at the, the garden? And what did the serpent do? What was his strategy with Eve? Hey, God's not so good. God doesn't have your best interests in mind. God is holding out on you. So as soon as he got her to doubt God's goodness, she was now free to what? Take care of it herself. Act independently. Well, if God doesn't really have my best interest in mind, if God's really not as good as I thought, well, then I guess it's up to me. So how convinced are you this morning of God's goodness? Of God's goodness. Because that's directly related to your obedience, your trust, your joy, submission, surrender. See, if, you really, if we really are convinced that God is good all the time, 24-7, wouldn't we more, we'd be more willing to let go? Wouldn't we we'd be more willing just to rest in every area of our life, our finances? Our finances, 
an area, right, in our economy and the thing that we hold, a lot of us hold like this and we're very concerned about, which is not a bad thing. Be concerned, not worried, right? And you want to be good stewards. But if God is really good all the time, can I, can I rest with my finances and my health and my relationships and my employer and, and being an employee, whatever it is? Can I rest in His goodness? Knowing that what He asks me to do in every area of my life is because He's good and wants my best? Hmm. Hmm. Right? How many of you parents had to have that talk with your kids? They didn't get why you were asking them to do what they were doing, but you had to say, it's for your good. And what did they say? They just look at you, right? What do you mean it's for my good? And you'd have to say, trust me. Trust me. you got to do this. This is for your good. I love you. I care about you. I want what's best for you. How many have said those exact words as you are raising your little ones, right? Because you wanted what was best for them. You had bigger perspective. You had greater life experience. We're just like little kids. And God says, I'm good. Taste and see. I want what's best for you. You got to trust me. See, when we're convinced of God's goodness, here's the key. The why doesn't matter so much. How many of you ever asked your kids to do something and they just said, why? 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 But why? And finally, what was your response? Because I said so, right? Because I said so. Well... Because he said so. Because he said so. And we're learning, and we're going to learn, but he's good all the time. See? When we're convinced of his goodness, when he asks us to do something through his word, the why really becomes secondary. Because I'm resting not in the answer to the why, I'm resting in his goodness. Amen? See, that's, that's where we're already, some of you are already getting freed up. Because you spent so much time trying to figure out all the whys. Why God? Why God? Why God? Why God? Why God? Sometimes it's a genuine why. Other times it's a deflection. So you can put off obedience. Stop emphasizing the why and start focusing on His goodness. That's called faith. That's called faith. That's when you get out of the boat. That's when you follow Him. Based on His goodness. Based on His goodness, you follow Him. Okay? So we saw Eve kind of got, you know, she got deceived by the devil because she she bought into this. Well, God's not so good, right? Let's look at an example of someone who actually, when he was tempted, God's goodness was a protection. Actually, it was a protection. Let's turn to Genesis 39. Genesis 39. Many of you are familiar with the story of Joseph, right? When Joseph was 17, his older brothers became very jealous of him, so they sold him to some merchants, right, threw him in a ditch. Then they ended up selling him to some Midianite traders. He eventually goes to Egypt, and he ends up in a guy named Potiphar's house, which is one of the officers of Pharaoh, right? Genesis 39, look at this, verse 1. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. He's about... 
mid late 20s, 27, 28. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. So God is blessing Joseph and by default Potiphar's household. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife, Potiphar's wife, took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me, right? So all of a sudden, Potiphar's wife throws this temptation out to Joseph. Hey, basically, let's commit adultery. Okay, let's have an affair. But he refused. With me in charge, Joseph said, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Doesn't this answer kind of sound like what happened in the garden? They had all the trees to eat from, except one. But Eve was deceived into thinking, oh, God's not so good. Maybe that one is what I really need, because he's really not so good. Look at Joseph. He rehashes all the blessings. And then he says, hey, you know what? How could then I do such a wicked thing and sin against who? God. See, when we understand the goodness of God and we understand all the blessings that God has given us as His children and all the blessings He promises us as His children, you don't want to sin against Him. The goodness of God begins to protect our heart from wanting to sin against Him because of what? His goodness. You see how that works? It's now less a fear of punishment and more Love. More love. They say the two greatest fears or motivators are fear and love. The problem with fear, fear of getting caught, you know, when you had kids or when you were a kid, the, the motivation of fear of being caught only works as long as you're afraid of being caught. If you're no longer afraid of being caught, you just go do it, right? The greater motivation is love. And Joseph says, you know what? I've been so blessed. I have everything. You're, you're my master's wife. You're the one thing that I... I've been so blessed. How can I sin against a good God? A good God. See, when we make our decisions as we walk in our daily life, what we do with our money, what we do with our language, what we watch on TV, how we relate to people, you know what we do? Oftentimes, we go around as Christians trying not to mess up. We just we keep score. How many bad things did you do today to make God angry? How many of us 
You need to flip that and go, oh, God, you're so good. You're so good. I'm saved. Heaven is my home. I have a new church family. I have gifts you want me to use. You promise to take care of all my needs. Today, Lord, I just want to love you. I just want to enjoy you and love you today. And if I mess up, I'm going to confess and repent, but keep moving forward. How many of you that would radically change? Just your demeanor. Just your energy level. Just your joy. Because of His goodness. Because of His goodness. Charles Spurgeon says this. It's very, it's very interesting. He says, When I regarded God as a tyrant, I thought sin a trifle. But when I knew Him to be my Father, then I mourned that I could ever have kicked against Him. When I, fo- when I thought that God was hard, I found it easy to sin. But when I found God so kind, so good, so overflowing with compassion, I smote upon my breast to think that I could ever have rebelled against one who loved me so and sought my good. I'm like, what? When I thought that God was so was hard, I found it easy to sin. Oh, man, think about that. What he means is this. How many of you have ever been in an argument with somebody? Someone you, that just was like in your face. Da, 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 da. How many of you had no problem giving it right back? Would you want to come over the top even, right? Because they were like, well, they're going to be me. I'm, 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 I'm right back in their face. Now, how many of you have actually ever said something that hurt someone's feelings and made them cry? And you felt this big. Anyone? What he's saying is, when I thought God was in my face and challenging me with everything, I had no problem standing up and doing what I wanted to do because you can't tell me what to do. But when I saw the goodness of God, when I understood He was my loving Abba Father, it hurt me to hurt Him. That's when we get the goodness of God. When we, when we start to, 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 to really go from here to here with His goodness, you don't want to hurt Him. You don't want to sin against Him because it wounds Him. It's not an in-your-face power struggle with God. It's now, I love you so much. You're so good to me. You ever hurt someone that deep down you really regret because you knew they loved you and you wish you could take it right back? And you're like, I can't believe I did that. They love me so much. And I hurt them that deeply. They're so good to me. They're so patient to me. They're so forgiving. How could I do that to them? See, when we start to understand that's God's goodness, your relationship with Him changes. Now it's that covenant of love that we talk about around here. Now it's not so much a challenge as I just want to love you, Lord. I just want to love you. So that's Joseph. Let's look at someone who didn't do so well. Let's go to Second Samuel really quick. Turn to your right. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, Second Samuel. You're familiar with King David? King David was chosen by God to be king. Right? 
He was out in the fields and the prophet came and said, you know, you're going to be king. Then God takes him, helps him defeat Goliath, puts him on the throne. He's a blessed man. King David is a blessed man. Right? You know the story, 2 Samuel 11, David and Bathsheba. Usually David would be out to war, but one night he decides to stay. It's the springtime. His army's out fighting. His palace is above the city. He's out at night. He looks down. He sees a woman taking a bath. Happens to be Bathsheba. He says, hey, who's that? That's Bathsheba. She's married to uh, Uriah. He's out fighting. David, the king, says, hey, send her to me. You're familiar with the story. They sleep together. Bathsheba gets pregnant. King David now has a problem. And he goes into cover-up mode. He invites Bathsheba's husband back from the front lines to try to get them to have uh, sexual relations together so that they think it's his kid. Joab comes back two nights in a row, won't go to sleep with his wife because he can't do that to his buddies who are out fighting. King David goes, oh man, it's not working. So he, he devises a plan with the commander. He says, hey, next time you guys attack the city, Put Joab in the front, or Uriah in the front. So I put Uriah in the front. And when, when they start defending with arrows, pull back and let Uriah get killed. And that happens. So King David, from a shepherd boy to all of God's blessing to put him on the throne, ends up committing a mul- adultery and murder. Right? In Second Samuel 12... About a year later, after the baby's born, King David thought, okay, everything's cool. I'm just going to, that'll be our little secret. God says, enough. Let's deal with this. So he sends Nathan, and in 2 Samuel 12, verse 1, the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who would come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who would come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Verse 7. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Nathan calls him out. And basically he says this. God speaks to Nathan and says, I'm a good God. I gave you everything. I blessed you in my goodness. And David, if that wouldn't have been enough in my goodness, I would have given you more. But what happened to David? He took God's goodness and he turned it into a selfish thing. 
He turned God's goodness into greed and covetousness. He turned God's goodness from a blessing into a curse because now he just wanted more and more and more and more. And he could not be content with God's goodness. And when we're not content with God's goodness, when we doubt His goodness, that's when we get, that's when we get in trouble. Nathan calls him out and says, I gave you everything. God said, I gave you everything. David, everything. Everything you have is from me. And if that wasn't enough, in my goodness, I would have given you more that you needed. But it became about him. And David wanted more and more and more. We've all been there. How many of you as parents have, have invested into your kids and given them everything you didn't have? And you raise them, and you give them, and you give them, and you work hard, and you work hard, and you work hard. Some of them develop gratitude. Some of them want more. Anyone? You're like, what happened? We work hard. And they got all kinds of stuff. And then they get stuff, they don't even have any clue how much it costs. And they don't, we never had this stuff. And as a parent, you pour in and you bless them and all, in all your goodness, you want this for your kid and you pour out all these blessings on them. And in the end, it turns into a selfish, greedy, covetous thing. And you're like, really? How did that happen? I'll tell you how it happened. It's called a sinful nature. And we all have it. How many of us just be honest. And I, I've, I've been challenged with this. With this more and this more and this more. And you know, our system feeds into it. You know, here's a great example. This month, the new iPhone's coming out. And they're convincing you that what you have no longer is, is the one to have. You need more. We've all been there. Shoes, clothes, money. Job, the position, whatever job, right? No, we're, we're, we're inundated with a culture that says, you, don't, you need more, you need more, you need more. And when we buy into that, you know what happens? We lose sight of God's goodness. And we're no longer content. We're no longer happy. We no longer find fulfillment. What He's already given you. That's what the heart, that's what's going on in David's heart. Joseph's celebrating God's goodness and is like, how can I sin against God? He's been so good to me. David's like, well, you know, I know he gave me all these wives, several, but there was, I needed more. I needed more. And it's a, it's a gut check for us, especially in our culture. How much more do we really need? How much more? When was the last time we actually sat down and spent an extended period of time saying, Lord, can I just give you thanks for about an hour of everything you've given me? Because if you do that regularly, you know what you, after a while is going to happen? You're going to go, I don't need anything, do I? <laughs> I really don't need anything. Most of us in our culture right now, most of us sitting in this room, we don't really need. We don't live at the needs level. Now, if you go down and build a house in Mexico that's not much bigger than the size of this stage, and you see the hut that they were living in, you go, okay, these people live at the need level. We're kings and queens across the border. And so, and so David gets called on it at a heart level. And look at verse 13. He says this. 
Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Ooh. That's just confession and repentance. He says, you got me. You got me. But look what the, look what the symptom was. Look what was going on in verse, verse 9. Why did you despise the word of the Lord? And then in verse 10 says, you despised me. You know when David's heart became greedy and covetous and about self-centered, what was the first thing to go? The word. Which is really his relationship with God. Why did you despise the word? This is the king. He knew the commandments. He knew the three he was, <laughs> he was straight up violating. But see, when your heart's not right, we despise this. That good God who's good all the time and has gives these commandments because He loves us and we should follow them because it gives us that abundant life. When our heart's not right, we don't even know where this is. We don't want to read it. We don't want to pray. We don't want to come to church. We honestly despise it. We look down on it. That word means to look down on it with contempt, to undervalue something, to see it as worthless. When our heart's not right, when the God's blessings have turned into cursings and we're all about us, First thing to go is this, in our relationship with God. Why have you despised the word of the Lord? And then more specifically, why have you despised me? And so this morning, my prayer is for us as we prepare for communion, we would just stop. Say, Lord, I don't want to be like David. You have blessed me with so much. I don't want to be covetous. I don't want to be greedy. I don't want to be demanding. More, 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 more. I want to celebrate your goodness this morning. I want to rest in all that you've already given me. And you know the greatest gift you've already given many of us? Salvation. Sometimes we need to be reminded when we're consumed with all the stuff in our culture and all the material stuff. Go all the way back to God demonstrates His love while you are yet sinners. Christ died for you. And we saw in Romans, if He's already given you Jesus, He's going to give you everything else you need. So this morning as we prepare for communion, let's just have a time of reflection and say, Lord, would you check my heart? Would you check my heart? I want to be like Joseph. I want to celebrate your blessings. And when temptation comes, I just want to say, how could I sin against such an awesome God, a good God? But Lord, if I slip into being like a David, more, 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 more. And this morning, I just want to do what David said. He said, Lord, I've sinned against you. I've sinned. I need to just ask your forgiveness and turn from it. So let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for our time this morning. You are a good God. In fact, you're so good that you discipline those you love. You bring correction. You even cause conviction because you love us. And so this morning, Lord, if we have been like David, we've lost sight of your goodness and all the blessings and have become self-indulgent, and covetous and greedy and have not even spent time to give you gratitude and to rest in your goodness. This morning we ask your forgiveness. As David said, I have sinned against the Lord. 
And in this time of communion, once again, we'll, we'll come forward. When you're ready, you can come forward, get the cups. But this is a morning where we say, Lord, I'm going to go forward and, and I'm going to remember what Jesus did for me in God's goodness and grace at the cross. But this morning, I'm going to spend time in reflection and maybe confession and repentance that your goodness, your blessings have become really about me. And rather than celebrating and being grateful, I've become more selfish and covetous in my heart. So Lord, forgive me for that. I confess it. I I repent. I turn from it. And I just want to use this time of, of communion just to be with you and to make my heart right with you. In Jesus' name, amen.